0: how can you be part of a religious community that's straight up sometimes it feels like the church is trying to move the seems to be stuck in their
1: ways when the rest
0: why are they so obsessed with keep trying to get answers but they of a even know
1: the question the church is the most vocal, political voice against immigration. the church is still don't they claim i worship with the actual do how can you the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest how is that actually it
0: seems like so much of the, so the church's church being a good anti-critical American. thinking, being good homophobic, Christian. too narrow, judgmental, and disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world.
1: <sighs> the church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy, and today our guest is Heather Hamilton. And Heather lives near Atlanta, Georgia with her husband and three children. What are the, what are the ages of your kids?
0: We've got um, a 10-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a -a four-and-a-half-year-old. So we're in the trenches.
1: So just no matter what else happens for the rest of her life, with three kids and she just wrote a book, that alone is already an amazing, amazing feat. That's great. Heather received her BA in journalism from Georgia State University and spent many years doing video production before discovering her love of writing. After filming and editing stories with people from all over the world, from celebrities, orphans, religious leaders, royal family members, political figures and everyday people, Heather realized the common threads and themes intertwining all humans across religions, cultures, classes and demographics. She's passionate about fostering human connection through storytelling, writing, and art, and exchanging ideas. And her new book, which we are here to talk about today, is called Returning to Eden, A Field Guide for the Spiritual Journey. Great title. Comes out on February 22nd, which means I am going to put this episode out as close to that as possible, which means when you hear this, it's probably about to come out. Are you you doing pre-orders on it yet or no?
0: I... I'm yeah, not pushing of. them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So if you February hear this 20- and you're like, I got to have it right now, technically, yes, you can pre-order. Okay. But gotcha. So, yeah. We're so like
1: February. Oh. Yeah. Yes. February 22nd. Um. Amazon. Look, uh, look that up and I'll remind you at the end. So yeah, Heather, thank you so much for being with me personally today and with us and with the listeners as well.
0: Thanks for having me, Kevin. I'm so excited to talk to you.
1: Yes. This book there is resonance between, I think, my work, you know, what you're saying right now. I think there's some some connections there, some shared sensibilities of where we are, of where we're going, of what we're saying, of how the pieces, how the clouds are being tied together for us. So one, there's some really, I told you before we got on some really, really great stuff. So for the listeners, there's really, I think, a unique offering here for people to Receive, I think there's some amazing stuff, and you know, before specifically, I want to talk about some stuff in the book, but I also think there's some part of your story that's really interesting and helpful for people, and here's why you grew from what I read, you grew up very much in the church, is that Mm -hmm. correct?
0: Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: Okay, so yes. she said that yes. Very it's a very it's a very specific yes, she just said right there. You can yes. see it because this is video for us. And a lot of what I see happening right now for people, we're in a very unique moment, right? Culturally, mm-hmm. religiously, people leaving the church, so many pastors resigning, this whole moment that's going on. And I think a lot of people are who grew up in the church are starting to grow and evolve and they're transcending old ways of seeing. And I think one of the things that happens is people look back and wonder, okay, what was real? Mm -hmm. What was good? What was cultural? What was just family systems? What was was just the weird particularities of my own family that gets tied Mm -hmm. up within my overall experience of life and God and religion as a whole. So there seems to be this need to disentangle and dismantle. And we look back and we're like, did I experience God? What part of the way of Jesus was real for me? What was this? So that's a, that's a hard thing, mm-hmm. you know, because it's so wrapped up within our emotions as well, right? There's so many experiences and hard things that come with that. And I think your journey is I grew up in my unique experience of that. And now I have grown and keep growing into new ways of being. And I think that's great. And I think, a, a field guide for the spiritual journey is totally appropriate for that. That's why I think it's a great title. You even tell a story about like a mission trip and you're doing flash. I mentioned this flash mob style. I don't know. Cause I didn't grow up in the church. So these stories to me are like so fascinating. You well, know? When
0: I, when I heard your, like, as I've heard you talk a little bit about your story, it was, there was part of me that's like, yeah, you go back and you're, like, sifting through, I don't know, I call it, like, kind of like this Marie Kondo thing. You know, do you know who she is? Like, mm, the yes, lady who's, yes. like, you know, pull everything you're out of that
1: closet. That, that, that missions trip didn't spark joy. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, so, okay, the mission trip that um, Kevin is referring, it was, like, I think that we did this twice. I was, like, two separate characters. But we were, like, this big group of us, mostly – teenagers, like in some adults, but like practiced for weeks, like this big street drama where there was just, um, music and pantomiming. Like, I don't even know what it was about to be honest, you know? <laughs> so we like fly over to Peru, you know, I, we don't speak the language and we would literally just like roll up on a bus, get this PA system out, stick it on a street corner in like Lima, Peru and start blasting this music. And I'm like wearing this princess dress, like the same, we, like we had bought Febreze. So it's like, I had like tights that I wore underneath it and I would just Febreze the dress, you know, and like change my (laughs) tights (laughs) every other day, Febreze them, like just totally no washing laundry, no nothing. And I just wore this dress for two weeks while we went around and did this. So we just start, yeah, it was like a flash mob before flash mobs were like a thing, you know? And then people would just like start gathering around, like watching. And then at the end, you know, they'd have somebody like, I think I did it a few times. I was like 16, just start Preaching the quote unquote gospel with a translator. Wow. And then, like, all these people would come forward, and it's like, you know, give them a brochure to go to the church. And it's like, then we pack up and then we go to like another. Like we, thing. We, guys, we
1: did
0: it. We did it, again. <laughs> we did it. Yes. Like, we just saved a hundred people or whatever, you know? So, but like, so many strange experiences like that, where you're like sifting through everything and like, we can get into this. And like, so there was just a lot of weird stuff, um, where you kind of look back at, I'm like, I don't know what we were doing, but it was a fun trip. You know what I mean? It was like, it was a memorable thing that like took me out of like my little American box and, you know, you bond with your friends and blah, blah, blah. But you well, have. Here, how... here,
1: here, here, here's my let me ask you a specific question for this. Right? Yeah, I'm not just. I wasn't here just to get you to tell this story about doing a flash. <laughs> <100%. laughs> just tell a story, girl. Was there a point? No, just wanted you to tell the story. You know, you you look back at people who grew up in the church. You know, have all different kinds of experiences. Youth group, missions trips, all these different things. How do you now, because a part of what we're doing is when we know the actual movement forward in the universe as a whole and in our individualizes is this movement of transcending and including. We yep. are growing beyond where we were, but we are doing our work to integrate and include and to take in and embrace and accept everything that came from our past. Cause if not, you look back and we're angry and we're bitter and we're resentful at those people who still think and do those things. And actually we're still trying to come to terms with those parts of us that did that and our participation, Mm -hmm. right? Those are directly, those are pretty connected. How do you see those things and appreciate them and integrate them and include them into your life now, even while while still having your critique of them. Right. I think that's important. You know, when people are growing, how do we include them? Yes, I disagree with the conclusions. Yes, I might critique many elements of that, but I can include them and appreciate them. How has that felt? What are the challenges yeah. of that? How has that worked in your own life moving forward? That's what I think is really important right now.
0: Yeah, that's that's a that's a great question. And I think like I've you know, like when, when you're in it, like when you first kind of wake up and come out of it, like there was like this period of anger of like feeling like I didn't have um, really agency over my own choices kind of thing. A lot of it was like, I I feel like for me and not everyone took it like this. Like my husband grew up in similar environments and he just didn't, it just didn't like penetrate him in this way. So we've talked a lot about how like, this was like, the basis for my life. Like mm. people are going to hell. And mm. if that's true, like this is what I have to do with my life. And so all of it for me was like very serious and mm. sincere. And like, that's why I was there. You know, like yeah. I enjoyed a lot of things about it. I made friends and blah, blah, blah. But like, in terms of like, what is my life? Why am I here? It was this feeling of like, oh, well, this gospel or truth was just like bestowed on me as a child, you know, like I'm so lucky that it was just handed to me, but it's not available like for all these other people. So like, it's this life or death thing, you know, um, where I just felt like I had to do all of this, but like kind of looking at it now and we can get into this, like sort of like my conversion out of it or whatever was really like this lightning strike moment to where I just realized like, I'm, I'm not viewing reality properly. You know, it's <laughs> not like the veil tearing <laughs> and they like, okay, I think everything I thought or knew or how I perceived ultimate reality is not accurate at all. Mm. Um, which on one hand was like very devastating and sure. scary to like go like, I don't know anything and I don't know why I've made all the choices in my life up to this point. And you're reevaluating everything. Um, But then there was also, and this is something that I've kind of like observed, you know, in the deconstruction space or whatever is something that has interested me is like, for me, there was anger, but also like this compassionate understanding of like, I'm not really like blaming anybody because I used to think this way. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. coming out of a space like that, you really understand what it's like to hold very like sincerely in your heart, this worldview and these beliefs and like nothing. I don't think anything would have changed my mind about that. Like no amount of like debating right. or At arguing. That
1: point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Like it just... Completely impossible, you know. So I've, you know, a few years out from my experience and how I've grown and everything. Like I, I see it all as you said, as like a natural and normal part of human development, where like you move beyond, you know, the dualistic mind of like this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong, and like looking at it as a model of human development and growth. And, you know, in, in my book, when I'm like, there's a lot of like, kind of like reinterpretation and re of like these different Bible stories. But it's like, when you're a child, when you're hearing these stories, you can only engage with them, like in a certain way, you know, like when you're, when you're a kid, it's like, you do have this magical thinking going on and that's how you absorb the stories and like interpret them. And, you know, it's not, there's different stages of human growth and development, but it's not a given that when you're a quote unquote adult that, you know, your mind is going to have like developed beyond those Mm -hmm. stages, you know? Mm -hmm. And in order for like some of those development, like I call them like shock points or like inflection points that happen, Mm -hmm. like they're like scary as hell. You know what Holy I mean? I'm like, this has yes. like really like upend your whole life. You can't say that. You can't yeah. think that we can't. Oh. Yes. <laughs> or something terrible is going to happen. And so if you really like believe that with every fiber in your being, like there was just no awareness in me that I like needed to grow or think beyond the context that I already had, you know? Mm. Like I was like, I'm not really interested in any other religion. like why would I be interested in another religion or like another point of view or whatever? Like I had the truth, this is it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know? So yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think the you know that the compassion on where you were and the compassion mm-hmm. on the people who are still there is such a key thing for we have to give ourselves the permission to keep growing and evolving without yeah. the need to stay angry or have oppositional energy towards that which came before us and the people who actually even if we disagree with them now helped us get to where we are like that to me is yeah so important like i think as we grow we have to be able to disagree with the conclusions people come to without questioning their faithfulness mm-hmm. as leaders yeah. because there's always an internal logic to why people do what they do
0: oh totally you
1: know, yes. when someone's Someone might be saying you shouldn't read that. You shouldn't do that. And sure, you can say it's filtered through lenses of fear and they're not open. And that's all that's all true to a degree. But there is an intention there where like they're trying to protect you because mm-hmm. they think it's dangerous out there. They think you're going to die out there. They think yeah. it's unsafe out there. And what yeah. you're saying is it's actually better out here, but their intentions are to protect you. So I can say, well, I disagree with you, but I actually still appreciate the fact that you would spend the energy. Now, if they're harassing you or trolling you, that's obviously the boundaries there. Yeah. But I look back and I'm at my, the first sermons I heard, you know, some of them, I'm around 20 ish, you know, at a church out here. And now I look back and I think, If I heard those sermons now, not only would they probably not be beneficial towards my where I'm growing into right now, but they would, I would see some of them as problematic, you know, dangerous or perpetuating larger systems of et cetera, et cetera. But mysteriously, as we talk about this growing movement of development, that pastor was saying exactly what I needed to hear to go from steps three to four.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah. even
1: it's so crazy, but even though I disagree with a lot of it now, I still needed that developmentally because steps three and four were integral for me to be able to take steps twenty-three and twenty-four, however many years later. So yes, that that precisely. inclusion, welcoming and that part because that's so important for people to hear how to how to feel their way through that now. Cause to grow in your stages of faith and to grow and have a more sophisticated understanding of reality but to still just be angry and oppositional and, and against energy. I'm like, that's also to me, not good for the world. And it's not good for you either. Cause when you're angry, oppositional and always against something, you're also not at peace. You right.
0: Know? And you're kind of creating the polarity that you are railing against. Um, mm. and, and I'm like, yeah, it's i Cause I'm, I'm like, when, when I was in, you know, a more like conservative evangelical space. Like if, if anytime someone's just like attacking out of the blue, you're just like, what the heck? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> <laughs> it's, it doesn't like create like a receptive environment. So mm-hmm. yeah, to your point, like there's um, I, I kind of use this model in the book. Chapter three is like called the anatomy of a seed. And I kind of mm-hmm. like set up this model to sort of like r- represent this, growth and human development that we're talking about. But like, so if you imagine like a seed, if I'm like, Hey, picture, what does a seed look like? Um, I can't see it on video, but I brought my little acorn here. Like you would just think of this, you know, like this is what pops into my head when I think about what an acorn looks like or what a seed looks like. And this is like the part, the part that we think of is actually like what has to like break apart and die. And inside of it is like this embryo, which is what actually like grows on the tree. And then the shell has to grow over it to fall from the tree. And this is like a vehicle for our growth, like without some of these like limitations and this perception of separateness, you know, from the source, this, the embryo that this is protecting and is carrying, like wouldn't would not be able to make it through like the elements of nature and life and like survive its environment up to the point where it can be like, you know, plant itself, bury itself in the ground and have this shell die off and germinate into an actual tree, you know? Mm. So that was, this is kind of like the model or metaphor that I set up in the book. And it's, it's what you're saying is like, even in, in those times in my life where like, it was all driven by fear and self-protection. Like, even though I've grown out of that now and it kind of makes me cringe sometimes, like when I hear it, it's like you do need that protective shell to like as a vehicle to get you from like point A to point B in your life to the point where like this outer shell can finally die and fall off and there can be this rebirthing process. Mm-hmm. But if that happens too soon, then, y- you know, that this never makes it into a tree. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it has to be at the proper time where it's like the conditions are right. The soil is right. You know, it's a safe enough environment where like this really traumatic process can, mm-hmm. can happen, you know, the process of rebirth. Mm-hmm. So, um, Yeah all that to say is it's
1: yeah it's very it's very freeing and calming to look back and say it's not that that was bad and it's not Mm -hmm. that it's not it's just I know those beliefs those ways of being those protective things like those weren't bad those were necessary at that time they're just not helpful anymore exactly the things things that were saving me back then are no longer serving me right now you know but yeah and if you and if you start to really gain space from that through this larger experience of this larger sense of self, the spacious self that's actually in Christ, doesn't just believe things about mm-hmm. Jesus, but is experientially in Christ. I can actually disidentify with and let go of those things that I thought were me. Cause now they're actually getting in the way of me becoming right. more, you know? So, yeah.
0: And also we'll get, this like, yeah,
1: yeah, please go ahead.
0: I was just going to say like, there's thinking of it this way, like in terms of like human growth and development, as opposed to, you know, my old way of thinking about like, you know, we're all just sinful. So anything, Mm. you know, any bad behavior or whatever that I do is just like this sin thing. Like this, this growth model has helped me like, look back at some of those things and realize like, oh, that behavior or that addiction or whatever was Mm. protecting me from something that wasn't ready to like germinate and come forth in my life, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and the process that I ended up going through, like with growth, you know, if if I had gone through that, like 10 years before, I just didn't have the tools to like navigate, you know, what, what it did like with my nervous system. Like I didn't have the resources Mm -hmm. to like navigate through this kind of thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And so like, if you're not set up with like the resources that you need to like navigate such a huge transformation, like your life can really like spin out of control, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. Let's let's and let's talk about that specifically after this question. You know, there's a transitional moment in your life, like a breakdown, yeah, uh, sort of defining moment at about 33, and then there's a few other chapters, specific things I want to talk about that I think are really interesting about you know that are parts of the field guide for moving forward. Mm-hmm. Right? How do you keep? How do you stay connected with the way of Jesus? How are we relating to the Bible mm-hmm. now? But that, that transitional defining, you know, what was the word you used earlier? Like fl- flash point or like, you know, those yeah, like a shock
0: point or inflection point. Points. Yeah.
1: Because usually as human beings, we don't just slowly surrender things in our way to the future. We're shocked into that system. I pushed it to the edge and it actually made me break down. And then and only then am I now willing to look for a life beyond that. Oftentimes that's how we have to grow and learn, you know, those points yeah. of suffering hit us. So you describe this. 33, this nervous breakdown ish. I don't know if you describe it like that exactly moment and an ambulance comes, you know, one of the quotes you have in that story is you say my, or after that is my personal encounters and spiritual revelations began to contradict much of what I was taught from an early age about God and the nature of reality, right? There's mm-hmm. this tension between theology, what we believed before and our biography. I just read that recently and I thought that was an interesting mm-hmm. way to say it what was that moment? And then what happens inside, like what's going on as we, it's the shock point for the future when there is sort of this incongruency or tension between your theology and your biography, things aren't fitting. Like what, what happened for you and how did that become that shock point in towards sort of this next stage of your life?
0: Mm -hmm. So I think, um, up until this point, it's like, you know, when I would deal with some sort of like major anxiety or some like huge conflict in life or whatever, it was, I I don't think that this was, maybe it was conscious. I don't know. But, it, but it was like, if I ever end up with my back against the wall and I'm desperate in some kind of desperate situation, like God is going to come rescue me out of this, you know, because I'm a Christian and this has been promised to me. And so you, you know, anytime something like this would come up, it would just be like this begging and wailing for God to like, f- fix it, you know, you're and sometimes you're,
1: cor- you're cornered at school by the bullies, you're up against the wall. You're like, God, beam me up. Where yeah. are you? give me up.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. But that, I mean, that was sort of the mentality about everything, you know, I don't write about this in the book, but this is just a little personal thing is my husband actually, um, he got diagnosed with cancer when I was 29, he was like 32 and it, you know, was one of these moments. It was like, so shocking and like earth shattering. And we had our daughter was like one and a half at the time. Um, wow. anyway, and like, I remember, you know, kind of hearing from some of our Christian elders and stuff like this. And I remember a lady like writing us a note, like, I just know, God's going to take care of this. Like, I just know Jerry's going to be okay. You know? And it was, it was like that certain. And I remember going like, I don't know that. Like I've, Mm -hmm. I've seen, um, I've seen Christians who like love Jesus with their whole heart, who have died horrible, painful deaths. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's not exactly like congruent for me that, that I don't know that you can just like plant your flag on that kind of outcome. But I still, I still was sort of like in that frame of mind, like if I just like beg God hard enough, you know, this is going to like resolve. So, um, the, the experience I kind of describe in the book was, you know, we had just had our third kid and long story short, but I kind of had, um, I don't know how to describe it. It was like some lightning strike revelations about my life and just unresolved traumas that i had never like acknowledged i didn't even really know what trauma was you know but um sort of this i don't i don't know to call it, like divine intervention if that's how i feel about that phrase anymore but it was like it just like landed on me very mm. quickly and abruptly and it was like you know kind of being blind and then someone puts like glasses on you for the first time and you just see everything very crystal clear mm. and so it it did Um, it was sort of like this major identity crisis where my whole concept of myself and why I had made decisions and like why I had, and, and I hadn't ever done anything like illicit or anything like this in my life. Like it was just a very stereotypical, like good Christian girl, you know, good career, had a great family. And my husband's like the music director at this mega church when this happens. And so I basically, it was just like, a cosmic black hole opened and I fall into it. Okay. Mm. And so um, I'm down there. I don't have like the language or context for what's happening, but essentially like just a lot of like my unconscious
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) contents like started coming up and I did not understand what was happening. And so I think it could conventionally called like a nervous breakdown, although like, Mm. not like it was my spiritual breakthrough, Mm. but like, so over the course of a few days, it was like, you know, just back to back to back to back panic attacks to the point where I was like, I am not okay. You know, like I don't, I don't, I don't know what resources are out there, but like, yes. Yeah. So we ended up calling nine one early in the morning and, um, and right before that well, before we got to that point i just experienced what i recognized as hell like it was like i was like calling out to god and my soul just felt this complete absence like nobody's coming to rescue you like whatever vision or picture i had in my head about how god might show up <laughs> excuse me in these in these kind of moments like was just gone And, um, I wasn't like imminently suicidal, but it was like, I just, it was like a sobering realization of like, I cannot live like this. Like this is going, if this continues that this is not going to end well kind of thing. And I had never, like, I didn't have a history of thinking like that or whatever. It was just like this clash of like, whatever you believe about God isn't exactly correct. And I I kind of had this knowing in this moment that like, I think that hell is more of this like psychological descent, for lack of a better term. Um, I felt that and and I the best way I knew how to describe it was like, I felt like Jonah in the belly of a whale. Like, and I was like, I think this is where this guy was, you know? Mm-hmm. So up until that point, like everything about the Bible was like very literal, you know, like, mm-hmm. well, it doesn't make sense that Jonah could live in a, well, belly's whale for three days, but like God can do anything. So I guess that could have happened, you know, mm-hmm. like there's like this cognitive dissonance that you have of like, mm-hmm. well, we can't really know and God can do whatever mm-hmm. anyways. But so in this moment, it was just like kind of this, I just kind of knew or recognized like, oh, this is what the story's about, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when we called 911, um, we opened the door and, you know, we live in a very like conservative area. Um, I opened the door. I immediately recognized the person on the porch as a transgender woman. And I'm kind of like taken aback with fear and Mm -hmm. kind of recognizing my own, um, I'm not sure what the word for it is, um. We were at this mega church where it was like it's it was a very diverse population so it's like you know I had friends on the LGBTQ spectrum and, and it's like we're all treating each other kindly and we're friends and da 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 but in this moment of like I'm on my back and I need help I recognize like I don't know if I trust you you know like it was I, I just recognized that I saw myself as like the rescuer and unable to res- receive help from, you know, people who I didn't think viewed the Bible the right, right way or were following mm-hmm. God in the way that I thought was like the truth. I, way- he-
1: I need help. Someone comes to the door They're the come to help. You're all, do you believe in inerrancy? No, you're all, then you
0: can't help me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was something like that. Like, I just, I don't know if I can trust your judgment. You know what I mean? Because I'm you're living this lifestyle that I disagree with, you know, so I'm, I'm, I don't know if I can trust your judgment. So anyways, it was like this gripping moment of fear and just kind of shock that I'm, something's happening that I'm not expecting. But anyway, I just start kind of word vomiting, like what's going on. And it was suddenly, I just felt it was like this benevolent uh, presence, like coming off of this woman that was like, all of a sudden I felt like we were like in this bubble. Um, I kind of explain it in the book. Like it was just like every, I felt this like benevolent texture that I like recognized Mm -hmm. as Christ. And it was like Mm -hmm. the most real crisp moment of my life where I felt like she was seeing me exactly like, and had been in a similar place. And it, you know, I had spent the week before, like trying to explain to my husband and my family, my friend, like what was going on and no one really got it. And I didn't really know what was going on. But anyways, I just felt so seen and met and like all the walls just fell down in that moment. It was kind of like this Paul on the road to Damascus where he's like, it's just like this shocking revelation of you're not viewing reality correctly. This is what Christ is actually like, like this love and compassion, and um, I don't know, like this vibratory energy that I'm was like experiencing. Um, where it it was not only like I'm seeing Christ in this woman, but I'm recognizing Christ in myself, like in Galatians one sixteen. In this road to Damascus moment, Paul's like, God revealed his son in me, which, um, I, I first saw that like, um, in Richard Rohr's, the universal Christ. And I was like, that's exactly what I experienced mm. where it was like, I've had this in me from the beginning, mm. you know, it wasn't like a magical prayer that I prayed, which got Jesus into my heart. It's like, this is, this has been with me from the beginning I just had sort of like this spiritual amnesia or this falling asleep to that presence in me. And suddenly like it had woken up. So, um, that was like my, my experience of that divine awakening in myself. I knew that that was real. And so sudden, all of a sudden, it was like all the theology got called into question, you know, So it was this strange thing where it was like, that did propel like my deconstruction process, but it wasn't like a purely rational thing where I was just like, well, all, everything I've learned is a bunch of crap and needs to go Mm -hmm. because I had had this mystical experience that, that very much paralleled some of the stories in the Bible that I was now seeing more as like metaphor Mm -hmm. or like mythology is kind of like vehicles for this wisdom or this pattern of things
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's such a that's such a powerful story and it really feels like such a like a biblical story where can we see christ in the places we've been conditioned not to see god Mm -hmm. or not to believe God is present or not to believe spirit is or not to believe love can emanate from or not to believe guidance or truth can come from. So the story like that, where you're already in such a vulnerable space and oftentimes vulnerability can make us getting close to the vulnerable can make us clench and Mm -hmm. actually double down harder, or it can, we can allow it to open us up. And to have a trans woman come where you know, your imagination and your heart has been discipled and trained to not see the incoming of Christ, to not see this, that as an expression of the incarnational giving of itself to you and to have that to me is, is just such a profound and beautiful thing because of what that, the love that comes, what it does to us, how it opens us up for the future, you know, because one that when you start to see Christ in one place, you haven't mm-hmm. been able to see all of a sudden it opens you up to every place you haven't been able to see. Cause who knows, yes. you know? Yes.
0: Yeah. That yeah. that's really like, I, you know, I've been thinking about the, the pattern of it all. Um, because yeah, going back to the human growth, it's like, we don't pop out of the womb, like seeing this way, you know, totally. like may- maybe we do before, like our rational mind comes online, you know, but like, Once the rational mind like starts to develop that, that way of seeing, you know, now we're labeling and dividing, like it says in Genesis. And so that unitive consciousness of like oneness in the garden, like has to get repressed in order for the mind to be able to like develop. So it's like, this is a good and necessary process, but, um, yeah, just the, the order of seeing things. It's like, you know, we recognize Christ in like a deity such as Jesus, or, you know, now I feel, you know, it's like someone might recognize it in in their context or their religion or whatever. It's like, maybe you see it in Buddha or, you know, maybe you see it in Muhammad or whatever, but in a, in something outside of yourself, you've kind of like projected that onto someone else. So it's like, That love for Jesus that I felt like from a small child, like was a pure love. Like I did recognize Christ in Jesus, you know, (laughs) but then just like the shocking, the shock for your mind of going like, what I recognize in that I'm now seeing in this unexpected place, you know, for in my case, it was like in this transgender woman. And then kind of immediately seeing it in myself, like I had, Mm, I kind of woke up to this like autonomous heart that was like deep, deep in me that I, Mm. it was like new and immediately familiar, you know, it was like, yeah, like waking up from an amnesia or another life or something like, oh my God, this is like the most real part of me that I immediately recognize, but have forgotten about or gone to sleep Mm. to. And then, like you said, like, basically, I'm like, I'm seeing it in you. I'm seeing it in, in me. I think that this is the case for everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you start to see Christ in everyone. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, there's some nuance to that because if someone doesn't recognize that in themselves and it's like, you know, kind of Christ in the tomb, you know, like this is not awakened yet, but I knew that it was, it was there like this germinating divine seed was in everyone. And then after that, you kind of just start to see it in everything, like Mm. all of creation. It's like, we're all Mm. made of the same primordial substance. Mm. So Mm. it, it, you know, now I look back at that moment of like that, you know, my old picture of God dying, like it felt like this, why have you forsaken me? Like Mm -hmm. God dies in that moment And then coming to this realization of like, oh my God, like I'm like in like the womb of God, you know, I was like a child in a mother's womb, like searching for its mother, you know, Mm -hmm. when you think about it, it's like that, that's so sad to think like, you know, that I could be carrying a baby inside of me and the baby thinks it's separate from me, you know, like Mm -hmm. the baby's in search of its mother or like a fish in search of the water or something, you know? Mm -hmm. So I began to like, see God as that. And I was like, yeah, that picture of God outside of me or separate from me did die because that Mm -hmm. didn't exist. And that's not how it is, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's even the, the path, the story, you know, life, death and resurrection, the, the movement of death and resurrection, letting go, It's so true for our beliefs as well. Mm -hmm. Like the God, the, the God as object outside of yourself that likes them and doesn't like them and needs you to believe this or whatever, whatever your version of that was that God needed to die Mm -hmm. in order for a much more spacious, loving, gracious, permeating, you know, presence, That is within you and within everything to be able to be born again. But it is, it's traumatic when that God dies, especially the first big death. You know, later on, you're like, oh, more and more stages, more and Mm -hmm. more forms of death. It does keep happening. But the first one's so traumatic because that's the one you believe to and held on to for so long. That's given you your sense of self, your sense of security for so long. But it is important when people feel the death and grief of it because it is that. Yeah, death and and grief and letting go and acceptance and moving on—it's all. It is that hard. It gets easier the more and more you do it because you keep trusting it more. But the first time is so disoriented and I think that's why even that personal story is. And when we talked earlier about including is so helpful for people as a field guide for people on a spiritual mm-hmm. journey because that's there's other versions of that that are happening everywhere right now. You have a chapter called "Hate Your Father and Mother."
0: Mm hmm.
1: Yes. And, uh, you know, I'm even starting to see right now with the specific chapters and stories and things I really wanted to ask you about where it really even like this conversation becomes a field guide for people, because I'm asking you, what does it look like to include the past as you're growing? that's Uh That's a part of the map. That's a part of the map that's helpful for you as you grow. What was that breakdown, breakthrough moment like? That's a part of the map when people go on their own journey. And even now, this one, growing up in the church, like I said, family systems, church, God, it all kind of gets entangled into one thing in like your yeah. emotional life. And psychologically, it's hard to, when you're older to sort of parse through and sift through all that. And then there's also not just your family in the church, but now you're an adult and you're in a church and there's small groups and ministries you're a part of. And my husband's on the, you know, the head of music or, or mm-hmm. whatever his specific role is. And you're so tied into that. And that becomes very, it's great. You're connected community, but oftentimes the tribal identity of that and the gravitational pull of the tribe to the center is very strong. Yeah think like us and you're a part of this, believe like us, you belong, do the rituals, do the practices we all do. And you can be included, protected. And you're, you're a part of the tribe. There's that's, that's, that's evolutionary. That's comfortable. That's survival in the past. That's all very normal, but you have some interesting thoughts on the hate your father and mother story, you know, with Jesus saying that, where you say in that chapter, you know, Jesus speaks directly to overcoming our relational attachments to pursue true authenticity. Mm -hmm. This whole hate your father and mother thing, actually from your perspective is Jesus speaking to transcending and overcoming relational attachments. This need, oftentimes this need to be embraced by the tribe in order to pursue our authentic selves and journey You talk about knowing you were going to lose people Mm -hmm. in your life. You talk about how you at the same time refuse and you were no longer going to betray your sense of self for the sake of the tribe, for the sake of the attachments. And then, and I, and I love this because I have a chapter in my first first book called Jesus is free. Mm -hmm. And there's some connections here between what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And you say how Jesus was good at boundaries And how he never sacrificed his authenticity for the sake of attachment to others, right? Mm -hmm. There's so, as a field guide for the spiritual journey, I think there's a lot there that's really helpful. Here's my questions coming from that. What is so hard about growing in ways that take you beyond the conventions of the tribe? Like, what is scary? and challenging about that but also what happens to you when you have the courage to move through that if that's where life and spirit and everything's leading you in an authentic way
0: yeah so i talk a little bit um i'm not sure if it's in that chapter but it's right around there but yes this idea of um authenticity and attachment um and there's this there's this i uh, um he's a i guess he's a psychotherapist um a trauma expert named Gabor Maté. Are you familiar with his work?
1: Mm-mm.
0: Okay. He talks a lot about um that as humans, we have like two fundamental needs, okay? When when we come into the world as infants, and that's attachment and authenticity. So mm. attachment being like your number one priority as an infant like biologically for survival is to attach to your caregivers and to your environment because you're 100% like dependent on these people for your survival. So you have that, and then you have your authenticity, which isn't like, like this. I mean, I feel like it's kind of gotten con co-opted a little bit, like in pop culture, like, you know, just be yourself kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. not like this, like woo woo thing. It's like this connection to your gut feelings, you know, like Mm -hmm. when you're in, you know, even like hundreds and thousands of years ago, as humans are like evolving, it's like you, it's not just your mind that has this intelligence, like your heart and your body have intelligence, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, if I'm, I remember being on a hike like a couple of years ago and it was like, I was, you know, by myself and, you know, was crossing paths with someone and I just got like this chill up my spine, you know? And I, and immediately like my mind starts going like, it's nothing, you know what I mean? Like it's nothing, whatever, but I've learned now and like looking back on situations in my life where I would feel something like that. Um, And then ignore it. And then kind of later find out like, Oh, this was like, this was a dangerous person. You know what I mean? Like, and my body knew that before my mind did. And in fact, like my mind, like talked me out of it kind of thing. So it's like your authenticity is like the, the vitality and the dynamism of your life and your instincts and all those things like have this intelligence. Okay. But as infants, so those are like the two primary needs, but if your authenticity threatens your attachments with your family or with your environment or on any of these people that you need to survive, you will suppress your authenticity. Like attachment is the non-negotiable. Okay. Mm. So anyways, I, like, even as a parent, this is something that like has become very important to me, you know, just, um, kind of noticing like, the nature of my children, like being a student of them, like, how are they wired? What are their sensitivities? You know, like, why does this child kind of like retreat when I raise my voice versus this child who will like kind of bow up and, Mm -hmm. you know, fight me or whatever, Um, (laughs) you know? So, but like, before I was aware of this, it was like, I, you know, to, to one of my children who is just a lot more like sensitive and empathic or whatever it's just like she's gonna withdraw and retreat Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and you know before kind of having like these revelations it was like oh i'm thinking i'm a good parent because i have this really obedient daughter you know like she's like this perfect little chair
1: yes
0: yes and then i was waking as i'm waking up going like she doesn't really cry in front of me you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. I, i start i would start to notice like I I don't think that she wants to show me like her vulnerabilities and realizing like I've I've created that dynamic. You know what I mean? She doesn't feel safe for her like authentic emotions and feelings and expressions to like come forth with me and so it's like a lot of like trying to undo that, you know? Which the good news is it's like I really do think that those things are like repairable. Mm-hmm. Um but getting back to your question, like this hate your father and mother, like that was always so like perplexing to me, you know, it's like, what Mm. does that mean? Because Mm. I don't hate my father and mother. Like, I don't, like, I don't understand what you're talking about, Jesus, you know? Mm. And um, what I've kind of come to discover is it's, it's not like this hate your enemy kind of thing. It's you know, once I kind of woke up and I had realized how much of like my authentic self and the authentic expression of who I was and my desires and the things that I loved or the things I wanted to explore or the people I wanted to connect with, that that authenticity was like a threat to the tribe. And I was mad about it. Like I was angry that there were so many things about the world that I hadn't given myself freedom to explore because I thought they were like, of Satan or of the devil or whatever, and suddenly going like, I love this. You know what I mean? Um, or like, people... Damn it.
1: I'm watching the Harry Potter movies. I'm sick of this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. But like, even like feeling this enrichment, you know, like mm. even with different cultures, like I was really, really interested in like Hindu culture for a while. Cause I'm like, they have like some just very beautiful mythology and, um, you know, the things I was like experiencing in my body. Like I, I, I had never noticed about like, you know, the dots that you'll see like on foreheads of people. I'm like, Oh, that has spiritual significance that I actually am sort of attuned to what that's about now. And these people have just been walking around the whole time seem to be like clued into what this is. And I just always thought it was kind of this interesting cultural thing, you know? So Anyways, there was like some anger where I just felt this resolve to not sacrifice those parts of myself anymore in order to like maintain the attachments. And so, so I kind of explain like that Jesus isn't saying like do harm or try to destroy or wish ill will on someone that you hate, but it's like use this energy to overcome your attachments, you know? So like, if you can even picture, like, I don't know, like a round basket or something with like a bunch of mice in it or something like that, like in the mice is trying to climb up the wall. Like a lot of times you can't, you can't get up out of where you need to be without like this burst of anger. Or energy, you know what I mean? Like to propel you out Mm -hmm. of where you were. So that was kind of what I was experiencing and like the wisdom of just not using that anger to like hurt anybody, but just using it to like propel me forward out of those relational attachments. And that's not to say that I don't feel attached like relationally anymore, Mm -hmm. but it's like, now that I've like found myself, I, I can trust that, like, if there is some sort of fracture, it's not just going to like totally cripple me, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Whereas like before it would have, like, I felt Mm -hmm. like my sense of self would just be like completely obliterated if certain relationships, you know, dissolved or whatnot.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that that's, That's so good. You know, Roar talks about why mystics are dangerous to institutions. Mm -hmm. Because he says a mystic looks at an institution and says, there's nothing that you can give me that God hasn't already given me. Yes. And that's true about our tribal identity too. Now it's like, it's not that I don't have healthy attachments to people. It's not that I don't connect with people, but it's that other, that previous ego need to always be accepted, embraced, approved of, et cetera, by that particular tribe and that attachment. Right. I no longer am looking to them to give me what I actually now I'm starting to experience more and more directly from spirit itself, which yeah. actually enables and it, me and it to feels return so much to- better. Totally. Uh-huh. And also it enables us to return to community and connection in a much more differentiated and healthy way where it's like, I can let this be what it is without it needing to be much more than it's capable of being just like our partners in life. You know, like yeah. how much healthier is a relationship when I can let you be a person who I love and who loves me, who cr- we create a life together as opposed to you being everything to me.
0: Yes. You know what I'm saying? And I mentioned that in that chapter where I, and, and like my husband is like, He's so loyal. He always has been. And this was really like the first time in my marriage where I really had this fear where I was like, I don't know if this is going to fly. But like, so we had this conversation where I'm like this moment where I was like, I don't know if I would be able to overcome this because um, I I knew for myself, like I have to pursue what's real for me, like to like wherever it's going to take me. And so, mm-hmm. and I remember like we sat down and I was like I I don't know if I'm going to like stay a Christian. Like that's mm-hmm. uh, and I, and I need you to know that that's not like a guaranteed outcome. And so I was like, you know, if I become we're still like very evangelical here. So I don't think Buddhism is weird <laughs> now, but I was like, if I become a Buddhist or something weird, you know, like, are we going to be okay? It was just like this very crass, like you need to know where this might go, you know? Mm-hmm. And he was just so adamant, like Heather, we're good, you know? And it was like, I had been that's, married to that's,
1: him. That's, for... that's, that's... in, the, in yeah. the actual concreteness of our lives. That's huge.
0: Yes. And I had like been married to this man for like over a decade and he had always felt this way about me, but I never probably in my mind, I'm like, there were certain boxes that had to be checked, you know, like if this had been, you know, vice versa and he had come to me and was like, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. I'm converting to like Buddhism or something. I'm like, I don't think I would have been cool with that. Like that would have felt like a huge betrayal to me because Mm -hmm. so much of my identity was like wrapped Mm -hmm. up in this, you know, but for him to like, say that to me, it wasn't like some profound thing for him to be saying, but it was a profound thing for me to be realizing that he Mm -hmm. like loved Mm -hmm. me for me, you know, and it wasn't like he was marrying this Christian girl, he was marrying Mm -hmm. Heather and that's it you know mm-hmm. so cool. and i wasn't even aware that we were like missing that level of authenticity so it's like mm-hmm. like you're saying like there's the yeah, gift is when you have like these moments of like this is just me and this is just where i am and like i can't promise you like any of these other like convenient things um that would make our lives easier you know for people to say like it was never about that it's about mm-hmm. i love you it's just I don't know. I just felt like this my whole yeah, body relax, you know? That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's powerful.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, it's powerful. The We're about an hour right now. Thank you so much for this. This yeah. was great. Yeah. Yes. I'm excited for the book, excited for your journey with choir. The cover's amazing. I know the process leading up. <clears throat> you have, let's see, we're recording on the ninth, so what is that? A little bit less than two weeks until it comes yeah. out. Is that right? Mm-hmm. On Tuesday, right?
0: It it's comes exciting. out on Ash Wednesday. Yeah.
1: Oh, really? Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, just about two weeks. Um, New book, Returning to Eden, a field guide for the spiritual journey for the people listening. And that will be out February 22nd by Heather Hamilton. This amazing, beautiful. You see this colorful color collage, Jesus face. It's really cool. And... Yes. I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Like I said, the writing, there's some really, really profound stuff in there. You know, I think, I think, I think a field guide for the spiritual journey is a very, very, it's a very appropriate and accurate title for what it could become for, for so many people who read it and who get familiar with your work. So from now until then into the future, where is the best place for people to get in touch with you, familiarize themselves with you and your work more? Where can they find you online? That's the best place. Yeah.
0: So um, if you'd like to find me or connect, you can go to my website, which is just returningtoeden.com. Um On there are my social media channels, but on Instagram, it's just Heather Hamilton 1. On Facebook, you can just search Heather Hamilton author. And then, yeah, the book will be on amazon.com or ask your local bookstore to order it, but Mm. yeah, out on February 22nd.
1: Yes. And I will try to put this up as close as possible to that just for the timing of it. So yes. Thank you one more time. I appreciate this. And uh, when the next book comes out, hit me up and then we're going to, we'll make this happen again, whenever that is.
0: Yeah. That'd be fun.
1: Cool. Thanks Heather.
0: All right. Thanks Kevin.